0: Welcome back to The Lives of Writers, a podcast presented by Autofocus, a literary publisher of artful autobiographical writing, which you can find today at autofocuslit.com or on Twitter and Instagram at autofocuslit. I am the publisher of Autofocus, Michael Wheaton. Today on the show, we have a guest host. It's Jeff Ellison-Drelli, director and co-editor of Phonograph Editions, and he's in conversation with Nasli Kudja. Nasli Kudja is the author of the debut novel, The Applicant, which is out now from Grove Atlantic. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in the Three Penny Review, Book Forum, Second Factory, the Chicago Review of Books, among other outlets. All right, let's get to it. This is Jeff Alessandrelli's conversation with Nasli Kudja.
1: Mm, I usually wake up and then um, kill some time, take my Adderall. Uh, prescribed <laughs> and then that makes me really want to smoke a cigarette and then i smoke a cigarette i feel like it, I'll, before i smoke a cigarette and like tea um like i can't really start writing um yeah so then when that all kicks in um and i'm you know poisoned enough uh, to start the day uh i start trying to write and uh, sometimes I succeed, you know, and write, and sometimes I don't, and I watch, like, Turkish TV on YouTube. Um, and, yeah, so that's, like, a good day for me, and that's what it's been like in the last couple of weeks. But I also go to classes because I'm a PhD student, so when that has to happen, um, those are usually not good days. Uh Even if the class is at four, I usually can't really do much because, you know, I know that I'll have to leave the apartment. And, yeah, uh, it could be either way. But, of course, now these days, you know, it's been a crazy last month because I've been traveling a lot for um, the book tour. And, yeah, I usually uh, end up doing whatever, like, the person that I'm staying with is doing, which is usually... um, Kind of like the same stuff. Um, yeah, all my friends are artists of some sorts who are trying to uh, pretend like their day jobs don't exist, and um, I just join them in whatever way they they try to, you know, create the illusion for their lives.
2: And how long have you lived in Denver at this point?
1: It's been one and a half years.
2: And you're you're originally from Turkey. Where in Turkey are you from?
1: I'm from a city called Mersin. It's on the Mediterranean coast, like southeast um, end of the Mediterranean, basically. Um, on like a larger scale, it's kind of like across uh, Cyprus or um, Egypt. So it's very, very, very south and very, very east um, of the Mediterranean.
2: How big is it? I mean, how many, like 100,000, 10,000?
1: around a million probably. The thing is I haven't been to my hometown in over 10 years now. And I hear that it's changing a lot. Um, Yeah, it's much more crowded and diverse uh, than what it used to be because it's pretty close to Syria. So a lot of um, immigrants now like have settled there. Um, I remember when we were leaving, like they were starting to move. So, I have no idea what, it, what it's actually like there now, but when I was growing up, it was still pretty diverse in that, like, a lot of minorities lived together in peace and even died together. <laughs> like, the, our graveyard did not separate based on religion, so everybody was buried right next to each other. And um, it was a really good life, honestly, my teenage years, except, like, you know, the personal bad stuff. I think. Uh, It gave us a lot of like open air space to just like sit on grass next to the Mediterranean Sea and um, just like enjoy life no matter what. So hopefully they're able to do that right now, too.
2: You haven't been back and you said over 10 years. Yeah. And do you have you obviously still have family there?
1: Yeah, my family moved to first Ankara and then Istanbul um, in the last 10 years. So now they live in Istanbul. And when I go back, I um, I just stay in Istanbul most of the time.
2: And uh, do you have siblings?
1: Yep. I have one sister. She lives with my mother. She's seven years older than I am and quite different.
2: Is she an artist too? Or what does she do? No,
1: no. She works right now at the American consulate. Um, so yeah, that's how different we are. Although maybe not so much because I live in America. Um, yeah. She has an interesting life. When I go, um, sometimes I'm invited uh, to like these like Christmas parties or whatever, with the, all the diplomats that she's working with. Um, and like the crowd is like from Marines to the consulate herself sometimes. And um, like, like, there are the American workers, but also a lot of Turkish people who work for them. And they, yeah, they're diplomats. They're uh, boring, but interesting in how boring they are. And um, I take notes of everything they tell me. <laughs> uh, so we'll see what happens uh, with that. If I continue to um, write out of fiction, uh, how that will enter the space. But yeah, that's that's kind of like her, um, she reads a lot though. And she journals, she always, you know, uh, has a notebook. She, yeah, she journals even more than I do these days. I think.
2: What did your parents do or what do they do?
1: Um, uh, my father had a furniture business. So, um, like he owned a little like factory and then, um, like a couple of stores when I was growing up. Um, My mother never worked. She was a housewife. And my father um, would just always, you know, drive from one store to to the factory to the other. And I would sometimes join him. And, um, you know, sometimes we would just like, as a family, my mother, my sister and I, we would go to the store and like sit on one of of the, you know, furniture sets. It was as if like we had multiple uh, living rooms, (laughs) you know, throughout the city where we, you know, went and sat and, like, fought fought and argued uh, or, like, watched stuff in different, you know, different furniture sets that changed all the time. Um, Yeah, but my father died also over 10 years ago. And so, um, yeah, my mother still doesn't work. She's at home uh, most of the time.
2: So from a young age, did you know you wanted to be a writer? Was there books around the house? Were you reading or I mean, your sister was seven years older. So it sounds like she wasn't. I mean, so when she was 17, you were, I guess, 10. I mean, that's so different when you're young. Like how how did you kind of develop in terms of
1: literature? My mother read a lot. So I both me and my sister, we got it from my mother, but my sister like I don't remember that much of, like, whether she was reading a lot as a teenager or not. I remember that she was really into music. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember much about her reading. I think I I remember a lot of conversations we had about books that we were reading when we were both adults. But growing up as a child, my mother was always reading a book um, in bed, and I think I got this like interest and passion for reading um, from her and I probably thought yeah she likes novels so if I'm a novelist uh, you know it will make her happy and it sounds you know it looks like novel novels are things that make people happy and uh, novelists are people you know people that others like so that's probably how I slowly decided to be a writer. But at first I also, yeah, I spent the first like 10 years of my life thinking that I was going to be a painter. And it all changed because of a teacher. Uh, I changed schools in fifth grade and then, you know, the teacher that I had before, the painting teacher was always so encouraging um, and like treating all of us like we were little painters. But then the new teacher that I had in the new school, like she the arts and crafts teacher she didn't really care much about. Um, me personally, I think she you know or I don't know if she cared about other people, but um, it didn't feel like that was like a path that you I was going to um, be able to like fully embody and like escape reality through because it was just like one little thing. Um, So, yeah, but instead the literature, like English teachers were really interesting because they were all foreigners at this new school that I was, you know, going. It was an American school and the teachers were all from the U.S. or other English speaking countries. And I thought, you know, it was so strange that these Americans ended up in, you know, the small town that my school was in. And um, I thought, yeah, writing or like being interested in literature also sounds like a way that you can travel the world and end up in random places. Um Yeah. Thinking back now, I think that was, you know, the second main reason why I thought writing was a um, good way to escape like physically as well, not only mentally.
2: Um, Do you have, see, like my sister is a graphic designer and I'm a writer and I'm a, I mean, I, I'm not a visual artist at all. Like, do you still have, can you do visual art? I mean, are you kind of proficient or at least adequate? Or do you do it now?
1: Um, I do it for myself for fun. When I'm stuck, uh, you know, I can't write or I can't do anything. I go into like um, my room, there is another desk and I only do like weird collage experiments in that <laughs> in that room. And that really helps. I, unfortunately, I'm not that good. I want to be. Maybe I will uh, lean into that now that I, you know, um, already, you know, published a book. But until, you know, it happened, I was just so dedicated and obsessed with making writing work for me that I felt like if I tried anything else, I would be betraying uh, writing. Um, But yeah, now we'll see. Maybe that will change.
2: But that change in fifth grade is really when you had the teacher that encouraged you and you started thinking about writing. I mean, that's young. Yeah. Was that through high school? Was that always, I mean, through elementary, middle, like, were you always thinking about being a writer, writing? I mean, or did you go in and out of different things?
1: I always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be like a journalist first. And then I also had this um, phase where I wanted to be an an editor. And I think maybe like, I remember, you know, in high school, I was interested in fashion and I was Reading these like fashion magazines, like Vogue and stuff, and I did like have fantasies of being an editor at Vogue or like a writer for that. Uh, but that, yeah, in high school, my identity changed so drastically, so many times. Then I was, yeah, I was really into heavy metal, uh, like at one point, and I was reading these music magazines. Then I was dreaming of being a, you know, music magazine writer. So whatever I was interested in, I was, you know, my dream changed slightly of being like a writer for that, uh, or, you know, whatever they call writers, you know, because they call, you know, people music editor or whatever, but they still write the articles right in those magazines, I think. And then, yeah, when I was, um, when I started to be really interested in like politics, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, like political journalists. Um, but at the end of yeah, the day, I think they were all because, like, becoming a fiction writer was um, an absurd dream because, you know, like until you really dedicate yourself and, like, tr- try it with discipline, it's kind of um, impossible to, you know, like anything that you put on the page. Um, so, but the other stuff seemed more realistic. Uh, so that's the only reason why I, you know, um sometimes changed my dream like toned it down
2: because the other stuff would pay the bills in a sense whereas being a novelist it's hard when you're younger to just be like i'm gonna be a novelist and make money off my novels
1: yeah exactly you know it's it was obvious that you had to work on it a lot and then like it was always a risk like you could work on it a lot and never succeed also um so yeah how could i even imagine like taking that kind of risk um so I didn't for a long time, but then I did again.
2: And this is all in Turkey, right? When you're growing yeah. up. Uh, did you go to undergraduate college in Turkey too?
1: Yes. Uh, I studied English and comparative literature.
2: And what was that? I mean, throughout this time, are you writing? Are you like kind of reading a lot? Like, did you, I mean, The Applicant is your first published novel, but I mean, do you have a bunch of other things that you kind of were working towards or how did it work kind of getting to where you are now
1: everything changed for me in berlin i was always trying to write uh, but i didn't really have the discipline to try uh, after i realized what i was writing was horrible uh, so i had you know just like notebooks that were abandoned after like two bad poems but in berlin um when did you move to
2: berlin sorry
1: that was um 2014, the October of 2014 um, is when I moved to Berlin from Turkey. Yeah, from Turkey, from Istanbul. Okay. And in Istanbul, I worked um, as like an editor at a publish editorial assistant at a publishing house, and then I worked as a copywriter, um, content writer, manager at online advertising agency. So I was writing always like uh, in some way. Um, But when I went to Berlin, I also got jobs as as copywriter um, in different, like, uh, marketing departments of different startups, but I also realized that there were all these writers, like, spoken word nights or other poetry readings that happened weekly, and a lot of expats um, went there, um, or, like, tourists that were passing by, they were really well. advertised somehow, like it was like the peak of Facebook for these things. And I remember like the first time I went to one of those, I took my roommate with me and he has no interest in literature or any sort of art whatsoever. We're still really good friends. Um, and he was just like on grinder the whole time. Um, and I <laughs> uh, and I was just uh, looking at all these like people who looked so different from um, my roommate. Um, or like most of my friends at that time when they seemed really interested in um, what they were doing. So slowly I met enough people that I could go alone and yeah, then those people became my best friends. And yeah, we, then we, outside of the, those nights of spoken words or readings, we also started to get together and send each other our work and, you know, give each other feedback or collaborate uh, on different projects. And before I knew it, I, you know, was writing uh, real things.
2: And why so from Istanbul? I mean, that's where you got your undergraduate degree, right? Yeah. So you were so post BA, why did you decide to move to Berlin? Did you have did you know people there? Why of all places there?
1: I had visited Berlin um, a couple times before I moved. I did an exchange um, semester when I was in you know undergrad I went to a really small German city called Tübingen and there I met this German girl who took me to Berlin for the weekend and we went to Birkheim I you know for the first time I you know took some things uh, for the first time and I felt so happy like everything happened all at once I remember feeling like um yeah I was about to explode (laughs) with all this new um, perspective uh, of the world and what it could offer. And this girl, so this girl that I met, um, she was from Bavaria and that is a really conservative part of um, Germany and she um, is a queer woman and her family just like was refusing to acknowledge that and she was struggling with that so we had a lot to talk about. She understood um, what it meant to like not know like how much you should fight for your identity and what you want in life um, if that means if that risks you losing your family. So we had a lot of interesting conversations all in Berlin too like on that trip. Um, and I, I thought this, these are the kinds of conversations that I want to have and this is the kind of space i want um a kind of space that makes you feel like you can talk about these things um yeah i think that on that trip i already knew i wanted to move to berlin but i also loved istanbul and i had a good life there and my friends and um i wouldn't probably have moved if i you know had like better options in turkey but One year after I graduated from college, uh, the Gezi Park protests happened and um, it started really, you know, when it started, it was really exciting. And we thought that the country was just like entering a really good place. Everything was going to change because all the people had come together. So it it seemed impossible that like we were not going to succeed. But quickly, in a couple of weeks, the government really doubled down on their, you know, reaction. Um, and people started to die, and then people started to, you know, stop going out to protest, and um, then everything changed. Like, the laws started to change, and um, the feeling of the streets started to change, and I realized that, like, there was no future really for um, someone who wants to be a writer or someone who uh, didn't have, like, the financial resources to secure, like, future because I was working full-time in all these jobs. You know, even when I was a manager of a team, um, I was not making enough money to survive. Uh, if my friends had not helped me, like I stayed with my friends without paying rent for six months, I think. Uh, but then I realized this is not sustainable. Um, I need to change something. And I knew that in Berlin, um, a cheaper way of living was possible and still... Um, satisfying intellectually like it still gave you some room to breathe and do your own things from you know my friends who were already living there so yeah that's why i decided to move just to breathe
2: so it seemed like a big decision but also kind of a sensible one too
1: yeah there there is a huge wave of immigration of skilled workers artists from turkey to berlin um so yeah, I'm just one of one of like hundreds of thousands.
2: And how long did you end up living there?
1: Four years.
2: Okay, and your your family's back in Istanbul. Um, were those years kind of more transformative than your college years? I mean, did those teach you just as much as kind of being in s- school? I mean, because that's when you really started feeling or like like a like a writer, right?
1: Yes, definitely. I don't remember much about my undergraduate years. I don't know what happened or um, if it helped my writer, uh, writerly dreams at all. I think if anything it harmed it and it made me feel like it was not um, possible. And maybe that's why I went to advertising Um, because I really didn't like the way that um, people talked about literature in classes, like, all these people, all these professors who were so sure that they knew what the writer had in mind when they wrote something. Uh, that really bothered me because I always felt like these people probably had more open-ended, you know, intentions. And sometimes they probably didn't even know what they they were doing because that's how I felt when whenever I tried to do something. Uh, and then that contrast between um, how academia approached writing um versus like what i thought it had to be uh, at that early age made me realize but you know um whether they're right or wrong i still don't feel like i i'm yeah i have like enough power to like prove them wrong by like practicing it i don't know how to articulate this feeling um thinking back um you know to my college years. I think I have like a different vocabulary to talk about it now, like because I'm still in school, right? But yeah, I don't know at that time what I was truly feeling, but somehow, um, yeah, it made me feel like, oh, if this is the way that like people are going to talk about books, I don't want to write them. I think um, that's something that I felt.
2: As an undergrad, but in Berlin, when you were out of school, it seemed much more open-ended.
1: Yeah, me and my friends, Uh, We were writing with, of course, like, you know, our own thoughts uh, and emotions and maybe agendas in mind. But then we were really curious and we were asking each other, like, what did you think? Like, "Um, what is this that I wrote? Like, that's what we were always uh, asking each other. Like, what do you think I did here? Um, So that that really allowed me to um, see my work from, like, other people's eyes, but not in, like, Um, a way that they told me what my work was, but in a way that like, what my work could be to other people uh, who were not going to approach it uh, with the purpose of um, like pinning it down to something. Um, So yeah, that really opened up a lot of possibilities for me. Um, And yeah, I started to, like I started correspondences with other writers too. And we were asking each other, questions um, about other people's works. So all these things that um, you do in academia, I guess, we were doing it without any of the rules, any of the format requirements or um, any, you know, pretentiousness. We were doing it with curiosity.
2: Sure. And so your four years there, did you first get published in Berlin? Did you first think about literary publication i mean you said you were going to readings you were doing kind of i mean it sounds like it was very kind of immersive um what was that like i mean is that when you first conceptualize i'm going to write a novel or this the novel that we're going to talk about in a second or how did it come about
1: yeah i had a roommate um he Um, was from Sweden and he came to Berlin to do nothing and he wanted to be a writer too and we became really close friends, we did everything together, partied, you know, um, walked around and also tried to write, like, um, sitting in, like, our, our rooms. We had, like, a connecting door between our rooms and we would open it during the day and we would put a table right in the middle and we would try to write. Anyway, this guy was kind of crazy. Um, he's still a dear friend and I love him. Uh, but he drank a lot and did every, overdid everything. And then he heard of this meditation camp and he decided to go and it was a camp called Vipassana. And you, you go there, you uh, don't have to pay anything unless you want to. And for 10 days they feed you and they tell you what to do. They put you in a room with strangers. And the only thing they ask you is to meditate for 11 hours a day. Um, and you can't talk to anyone. You can't uh, even eye con- have eye contact with anyone. You can't have a notebook in there. You can't have a book. So you just have to meditate, um, uh, listening to the like audio recordings of a guy who died. <laughs> um, and, the, and at night, you listen to like the discourse that he also recorded before he died. It's... It's a funny little cult thing, but it really, I don't know. So he came back from this camp and he was a changed man. He didn't drink, want to drink anymore. He didn't want to do anything. Uh, and he started to turn his life around and I was interested in like whatever that was, um, like, and what it could do for me. So bef- at, until that point I was writing, but like nothing really that good. And then when I went in there um, and left, I started to actually write for the first time. Uh, And I wrote my first essay. And I sent it to then this um, like really popular Berlin art blog uh, that published personal essays. It was called Berlin Art Parasites. And this place had like a couple million followers. Uh, And they, yeah, they took it. They accepted my application to be like a staff writer, but unpaid of course. Uh, But I I started to get um, essays published there like once a week and people would just like thousands of people would react to it, uh, on social media. And I thought, wow, like, I guess this is actually happening. Uh, now that I think about it, you know, um, I, yeah, I really value what it did for me and what it made me, uh, think that was possible with writing, like how many people I could actually connect with, but they're horrible essays. I hope nobody Googles and finds them. Uh, but still uh once i did that enough like and i think normally i was really deep into partying um but i remember a couple of moments where like i would come home from like partying for like 24 hours and feeling like um feeling yeah as bad as anyone could after having so much fun um and then seeing like what people wrote uh in response to what i wrote and slowly that started to give me a better um, sense of like um, being alive and having a meaningful life than um, trying to numb um, myself by partying so slowly I started to write more than I partied I think Um, and I came to this point where I don't party at all I just sit in my apartment and right you know but it's yeah it happened slowly
2: but you did get responses to these essays which even if you didn't always agree it was some type of stimulation it was some type of reaction which kind of did make you write more
1: yes yeah
2: i mean i guess in your fourth year being in berlin were you thinking about moving to the states how did that kind of transition from berlin to where did you first land in the u.s and how did that come about
1: yeah, South Bend, Indiana was the first city I lived in the US.
2: South Bend, Indiana.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I had no idea what was waiting for me. Uh, one of my best friends in Berlin was American, and uh, she warned me, but I didn't believe her. I was like, "How bad could it be?" Uh, I've seen American, uh, you know, movies and TV shows set in Ohio and stuff. So uh, you know, they still do things. Um, and I, yeah, I went for you know an MFA at Notre Dame. Um, and I, yeah, just there was no future for me in Berlin because it's I didn't I didn't know German and uh, I did fail my masters that I was doing there. Um, so my visa was expiring, and um, I could have tried a little harder, but like unlike Leila, I um, had this delusional idea that I could get a you know a fellowship to do a masters in creative writing, um, and I applied. So in my last year in Berlin. Um, I, while I was working as a cleaner, I was also waiting um, to, you know, for the next year to start, so I, I would move to the U.S. I don't think I would have moved if I um, could stay in Berlin, and I thought that there was like a, a future for me there. But um, I'm glad that I did in many ways. Not so glad that I moved to South Bend, Indiana, but um, just moved away from Berlin. Where in Berlin, I think, like. It's enough to just like do the act of writing um, to feel like um, yeah, to feel like a writer or feel good, which is great. But um, I think America is like ambitious in this way that uh, maybe I needed um, to get my stuff and life together um, and not maybe like waste more time. Yeah, and feel feel more serious about it.
2: So did you apply to like a bunch of different MFA programs? I mean, you ended up going to Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana, but did you did you cast a wide net?
1: No, I was so poor, I could not afford the application fees. So I sent out emails to a lot of schools asking if they would waive the fee. And only three schools said yes. Like a lot of the school, like, for example, I didn't apply to Iowa, um, like because they only would waive it for... Uh, like military people or something. So yeah, a lot of the schools said no, and uh, Notre Dame and Vanderbilt and Sarah Lawrence said yes. I, even though Sarah Lawrence, I knew you would have to pay, but I thought maybe they'll give me a scholarship. Scholarship in the end, it's close to New York. I thought it was it, it would have been cooler to be close to New York, uh, and I got into Sarah Lawrence, but they gave me a fake scholarship, um, and then uh, I was rejected. I think. Um, from like Vanderbilt and I got into Notre Dame so that was pretty easy I had no idea like how good or bad Notre Dame was as a school I didn't know any of the professors I did I had not read any of their works I didn't know about Notre Dame being like uh, a crazy catholic school and um, crazy football school uh, I knew none of those things uh, so when I arrived like everything was a surprise and yeah I guess that kept me busy trying to understand what was going on uh, for a while in that place where like nothing seemed to happen uh, outside, like the university. Of course, a lot of things happened, but I think the people in South Bend they were um, guarded, um, you know, against the people that came for Notre Dame because there was like this um, disgusting difference in you know the di- distribution of wealth and the way people lived. Um, so it wasn't really um, penetrable, like the real people. Though, like, right before I left, I did have some friends um, from, you know, outside of school. But yeah, then I had to leave. And that's kind of the story of my life. Whenever I make friends, I move to a new place.
2: So you move there knowing no one, um, not knowing the professors, uh, were you homesick? Was it a big culture shock initially? I mean, was it a and was it a one year program or no, probably a two year or three year
1: two year program? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was painful. I had some of the most boring dark nights uh, on my own. Um, I always say that like the pandemic, like the lockdown started for like uh, a year and a half before everybody else for me when I went to Notre Dame, it was, yeah, I was mostly alone. And in Berlin, I was never alone. I was always around people. Um, I always had roommates or friends coming over. But um, America, I think, um, has less of a hangout culture than other places that I've lived. Like what people consider like having a social life is really different than what people consider having a social life in Turkey or Berlin. Um, And I'm not necessarily saying like one is better than the other, but yeah, I was used to always having people around me, whereas my friends in South Bend they were just happy like uh, talking on WhatsApp and like meeting once or twice a week. Um, And yeah, it was painful to be, you know, so alone, but it also, I think, yeah, it was the reason that I, managed to finish this novel and like towards the end of my program, right when I was supposed to graduate, the pandemic hit. Um, so that, that was the end, like how it ended, how this story uh, of Notre Dame ended for me, which is very fitting. Um, yeah, I, it, I could feel that something horrible was going to happen in the end, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) But in, uh, in school in Notre Dame, you did start writing the applicant, um, and how was that process initially? Did you start it? Did you workshop the book? Did you write, I mean, or chapters of the book? Did you get encouragement from professors? Like, I guess, um, yeah, I mean, because I, I do want to talk about kind of what's going on and on a craft level, but how how did it initially kind of go in terms of getting feedback?
1: Um, I think people didn't really know what to make of it and i also i didn't know that what i um was going to end up turning it as my thesis was going to be the applicant it didn't have a name until the very end um sometimes i would turn in short stories or poems and sometimes i would uh, turn in like chapters from uh, like the early beginning of the applicant which was published as a memoir um by the three-penny review before I even started Notre Dame which was my actual diary edited into like a semi-fictionalized like memoir thing um and I yeah Wendy Lesser the editor of uh the three-penny review like when she you know took it to publish she did tell me like uh you know maybe you'll turn it into a novel sometime uh and then I started to I was you know, thinking, yeah, maybe that's something I might do. But I also had a lot, a lot of these, like, fiction, you know, fictional stories that I, you know, I I was more tempted or, like, more... It felt safer to write fiction than to, like, fictionalize a memoir. So for a long time, I resisted uh, that that's what I wanted to do. But all those short stories were also set in Berlin and that they, you know, the main characters sounded like me. And um, eventually I decided to... Um, just like put a lot of those things together. So like stuff that I wrote in poetry workshop with Joya, Laura Johannes, I like turned them into prose and made made them paragraphs. Um, And then I also like during the summer of uh, like between my first and second year, I went to New York for 10 weeks to do an internship uh, at an agency. And in New York, I remember like waking up every morning before I went to um, my internship, which where I did nothing, uh, and also kept working on my writing. Um, I would just like work, work on whatever um, felt right that morning. So I still uh, didn't decide like um, what I want um, until the end of that summer. Uh, but I, when I re- when I looked back and realized, most mornings when I would wake up, the project that I you know opened was this cleaner's diary project. So, once I realized that's what gives me most joy and like the most exciting thing, then I started to like copy and paste and uh, somehow like make fit all these other things that I was working on. I changed, you know, the tents and the characters' names. And uh, so, you know, looked at, you know, how much they fit or what they could do to, to the project if they didn't fit. Like, should I pro- change the, you know, Cleaner's Diary project to, to, um, just be more similar to these other visions that I had and didn't want to let go of.
2: Yeah. So just to give context to the listeners, like, so the applicant, it's written in the form of a diary, um, and the diary is Layla's. Is that it, that do you say, it, Lila? Layla? Layla. Layla. Um, and Layla's a Turkish immigrant living in Berlin, working at the look, working at a hostel, the Looking Glass, um, as a cleaner um and she is also writing um and she has failed her thesis at a gym- German university because it wasn't academic enough and uh and then meets a swedish man who kind of falls in love with and i mean how would you say that's a fairly decent synopsis yeah now, how did you come to first kind of think of writing it in a diary format?
1: I always loved the diary form, um, and I think, yeah, Roberto Bolaño's *The Savage Detectives* is like the biggest reason for like how everything, um, how my life changed, <laughs> uh, because I, I read that book for the first time a couple months before I started working as a cleaner. Actually, a friend of mine was reading it, and he was reading parts. Uh, from it to me like when we were hanging out and eventually he left Berlin and I started reading the book myself and then um, when I started to work as a cleaner I went home the day after yeah after my shift and I started to write and I kept writing whenever I went to work um, I came back and wrote in this diary and I realized after a couple of entries that I, I was like um probably trying to sound like Bologna's narrator or something, you know, like sometimes that happens and you don't realize that you're, you're mimicking someone. Um, and when, when I realized that's what I was doing, I, um, realized that it might actually work, uh, not necessarily. Like, you know, I didn't, I knew that I shouldn't and I wouldn't continue to sound like Bologna, but, um, because I am a more, um, even more dramatic person than Bolania, I think. Um, and I have a different, you know, background and different interests. And that just like, you know, I have my own voice, whatever that was, I w- I was going to discover um as I wrote. Um, yeah. And I realized that like keeping a diary was like a form of writing. Um that like even when I felt like I don't feel inspired to create like something new. Um, Just by putting words about my life on the page i was writing and by writing then i was feeling more um yeah it felt more possible to then like write anything yeah you just put one word next to the other and like that could become anything in the end um but even if you don't know what it will be or whether you'll be able to say what what you feel whether you'll be you know able to put it into words you you know you can't really know before you try um, so since I realized that writing was, like, yeah, writing into my diary um, helped me uh, like create something that could be like a piece. Um, I thought, yeah, that it makes sense that Layla would uh, do the same, and it would help Layla to to become a writer um, and to yeah to put the thoughts uh, that she's too afraid to even like say out loud on page.
2: So there, there are obviously autobiographical elements of the applicant. I mean, there are also obviously fictional ones. How did you navigate that as you wrote? Did you give yourself kind of full license? Because it's set in Berlin where you lived. Uh, you were a cleaner like Lila, but there are also parts that seem to have nothing to do with your life. I mean, did you... You know how did that come about fictionalizing um what were also at some point real aspects of your life
1: um i thought like she needed more um obstacles uh than like my last year um so yeah for example like she doesn't apply for an mfa and doesn't know what's going to happen to her and then um or like she didn't even like think about this possibility in the years before so that you know then like i thought what would i do if i just didn't have this mindset um and i i felt more desperate or what would i do if like this person didn't you know help me out in this way um, before uh like i came to that point um so that was just one thing just in terms of uh constraints and like to make you know Put some differences um, between like me and Leila, but also um, I was, you know, I wrote this in like four or five years, and I was forgetting what like Berlin, what happened in Berlin, or what I was thinking about uh, whilst you know I faced certain uh, difficulties in life. Um, so then I. Yeah, I, I had to make a lot of things up too. And when I re- realized that, like, I can't even remember anyway, I just I was I felt more free to make up people and like events that happened. And like now, I often look back and I can't remember like uh, if something I wrote like actually happened or not. Um, like the places that she goes and uh, the conversations that she has. Um, so I think time is the you know natural and best uh, way. You know. Um, Thing that you, ingredient that you need to turn your life into fiction because, you know, it is going to do it whether you want it or not. But then I thought, yeah, I'll take this element of time and I'll also um, use it for, like, Layla's own writing process. So when she's writing in her diary, she's writing, uh, remembering things that happened in her past. And then that's, like, uh, you know, even further away from me and my memory. So, like, what would Layla, who I am remembering slash making up, uh, remember about her life and yeah that just made me feel so free to like imagine everything and I always mix like um, things that happen in films or like things that I read about like that if they're similar to my life or my way of thinking you know sometimes I go to sleep when I watch a really good movie or a really bad movie and I see a dream in which like a dream version of me is like in a scenario. Similar to the movie that I saw, and it mixes in my mind. Um, And when that happens, I usually write it down immediately so I don't forget. And yeah, I did that for Layla too. Like, what would Layla remember falsely? Or, um, yeah, what could have happened to Layla if she has read all these books in the past? Like, how would she, uh, how would those influence the way she? Um, Yeah, she makes choices. For example, some of the works in the book, I had not read them until like uh, years into working on the book, but I made Layla read them before me. And that allowed me to imagine, you know, new different choices that Layla could make that I didn't.
2: And so the book took you years to write. Uh, You started Notre Dame. I mean, it just came out last month, February of 2023. How many drafts of it did you go through? Oh,
1: like i don't know like a hundred <laughs> um i don't really do the draft thing i guess um i just change yeah i don't like start over i just keep um making changes and playing with whatever it is that i'm working on uh, in bits and pieces so i i never was like okay now I stopped and I took a couple of months of a break and now I will print it again and say it's draft two. Like, I really don't work like that. So I don't even know. I just know that I kept working and working and working on it uh, for years and years.
2: And it was or a version of it was your thesis at Notre Dame. Yes, which I assume is not the published version that we have now.
1: Yeah, it's quite different. Yeah, it's like half of it is there and then um, my th- I, th- I paired my, you know, The Cleaner's Diary was the name, I think, of that manuscript, and I paired it with two short stories, uh, because it had to be of, you know, certain page uh, count. And then I remember one of my professors, Steve Tomasula, like when he gave feedback, he said, like, you know, great thesis. I would like to, you know, I, I wonder what it would be like if the short stories were part of the novel. Um, and... Yeah, I took his advice, like not immediately, but later on when I kept working on the novel. Um, I Yeah, that's when I also um, turned the characters in the short story in, into characters in the novel.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things, I think, about it is it has, I mean, it, it's talking about authenticity. It's talking about luck. It's talking about kind of academia and, and immigration Um but it also has, you know, lower moments, like there's so much guidance from like soap operas that um, Layla like, you know, takes takes kind of legitimate things away from them. Um, did you kind of want to meld those high and low elements or how did you land on like soaps?
1: Um, yeah, it was really important to me to just like resist the environment that I was in, I guess, like the university setting. No, uh, the other intellectual people that I was meeting with and like no one would you know talk about stuff like that um and how like certain writers are being romanticized as like um untouchable geniuses even if what, what they say is often like uh, impossible to decipher and then like if you I think there was like a resistance uh, from some people that I met along the way um to like acknowledging that um simple narratives or dramatic narratives whatever were like uh could be good too and could be profound and meaningful and intelligent um and i yeah coming from working class to academia i think that was important to me on a personal level too so yeah soaps had to be there for sure and i did I do watch soap still. Um, I wasn't always this way, but it happened like uh, a couple years into my life abroad, and I just like um, missed like the sound of Turkish uh, drama. Um, you know, I was too peaceful. Uh, I was not fighting with my roommates or you know, like I was be- being like a cold-blooded uh, European. I was turning into one, <laughs> and I needed people to argue, uh, you know with the dramatic like music in the background to feel more like myself sometimes. And I still do actually. Yeah. I was, I didn't have the time until recently. So yeah, I watched a couple episodes again yesterday uh, to get in touch with my emotions. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now I feel much more like myself because I was writing academic papers for a week before that, and I couldn't stop intellectualizing Um my life to myself when I thought um, about things or the world. Um, But now, yeah, actually, after I did that all day yesterday, now, yeah, I I guess I sound more like myself.
2: So when did you finish the book? I mean, like the version that came out last month?
1: Um, Probably last year. These days, like, yeah, um, maybe like last May. Um, because I, yeah, I just kept working on it with my editor until yeah, last April or May, Then I I sent the final thing and I couldn't make any more changes.
2: So, it's your first novel. You I mean, you've had publications in journals, but never like a chapbook. I mean, is it weird, kind of having it in the world now? I mean, are you you've been going on a book tour? How is it? How has it
1: been? It's. The best thing that ever happened to me. It's really um, a great feeling. Um, I've been thinking, this is what like um, a parent must feel, you know, like you, you know, you bring something into the world and like that, you know, you sacrifice so much for it, and then that thing should make you happy, <laughs> you know, like and um, maybe it's like uh, not a healthy expectation, but um, you know, that's yeah that's what I feel like. I feel like my book um, comes to rescue when I don't feel, um, yeah, when I don't feel good. Um, Like I just think of my book or or like something, yeah, someone uh, reviews my book or like uh, someone emails me like, you know, with some proposal because of my book, then I feel, yeah, um, yeah, I have that thing out there in the world now that I'm connected to. Uh, and it, like, it was strange because it came out one week after the earthquake in Turkey. So I couldn't really process um, this and how good it was for the first almost month. And I pretended like it wasn't uh, happening for the first two weeks. Even I couldn't even like post anything on social media or uh, celebrate it because yeah, my country was going through one of the worst things that ever uh, happened to it and everybody was in a state of collective mourning, you know, people I know uh, lost people, but even those who didn't, uh, they were just so shocked and traumatized. And I was too. So I dedicated like all my time and energy and like focus into organizing fundraisers and um, sharing like news articles or donation links instead of acknowledging that my book came out. But then I realized that a lot of people who were reviewing my book were um, making connections between the political uh, aspects in the book. And even, you know, there's an earthquake scene that Leila remembers from her childhood. And people were realizing that, um, like, everything is connected. Um, and, yeah, my book is a part of this system. It's That's why it had to exist. That's why I had to write this political novel, because I... Come from a country that things like this can happen, they have happened before and they will happen again, probably. Um, and you can't even talk about it. So, I took the risk of talking about um, these things in a way that might have like negative consequences for me. I took the risk because I had to say something, and I was really scared, uh, about like what might happen. Um, like Legally or socially, like the reaction that it might get from Turkey, uh, because no one usually around me like wants to talk about these things. Everybody hides so much of their personality or like belief systems and values. Um, they hide it from their like larger social circles and families, and they never post about that stuff on social media, because we're all scared. We were all really scared, but now like everybody is just screaming everything that they are fed up with and things are changing and my book is just like becoming a part of that conversation too. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad that it is. Um, it gives me courage and it gives me like hope that like it might actually have a positive effect on the larger dialogue.
2: And now for someone who seems highly ambivalent about academia, you're, you're in a PhD program in Denver.
1: Yes, that is correct.
2: And what (laughs) Uh, what, do you, what Do you want to be a professor down the line in America? Or do you know like what the next step is after you finish there? Or do you have any idea?
1: I really like um, teaching creative writing. So I would want to do this um, in the years to come. But I don't think I want to ever play the tenure game. And uh, I don't want to be a part of an institution. So in my dream... Um, Scenario: I, you know, go teach classes like here and there, um, just to support um, my writing, or like because I want to teach. Um, so I don't want writing to, you know, disappear um, or like become um, just something that I need to work around the schedule of being um, playing, you know, the ten-year game and hiding my true like views and interests and values for years and years until I get like this false, you know, label of like security or something. So yeah, I want to, I would like to teach, um, as a professor, but I don't want to be a professor.
2: Sure. Do you plan on staying in the States?
1: Yes. Um, I think I will stay in the States, but I will try to, you know, have like, um a base here in the states and a base outside uh, and just keep you know coming back and forth um that usually like leaving the states once every six months in the last two years I've been able to do that and that really changed um my quality of life a lot
2: where'd you go to in the last two years
1: just Turkey um yeah I I before that I was yeah I didn't leave the states for three years uh first because of COVID and then because I couldn't afford it uh and i was just like losing my mind and a huge uh part of myself just because the um norms like social norms and like the way we are supposed to think or talk or write in the us are so um homogenous even though people pretend like it's not there is like an undercurrent of like censorship or um Yeah, like censorship that pretends not to be censorship kind of thing that you can't even like grasp, like you can't understand what is shaping the way you think uh, and the way you write, but something is constantly shaping it, shaping and reshaping it. Um, And it's really different from um, what's going on outside the US. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But I can't really talk about what's going on outside the US with the language um, that... We're speaking in the US. Hmm. So leaving allowed me to put the world and my transnational life and interests and priorities and worries and responsibilities into perspective.
2: Hmm. And what are you working on now, now that the novel's out?
1: Um, mainly my main, like next big project is um, a sequel of The Applicant.
2: The applicant, did.
1: yeah, uh, it's like so. It's a sequel in which a fictional narrator comes out and says that, like, she is the writer of the applicant, uh, and she acknowledges that she like fictionalized her life uh, in some ways and in some ways not. So she's thinking through that process while she's adapting uh, the applicant into a screenplay. So. She is, yeah, she's navigating uh, different, like, levels of fictionalizing and, um, yeah, layers of a story.
2: And you're right in the middle of that now? You're at the start. Where are you in that project?
1: I'm at the start. Yeah, very, yeah, very early stages. I wrote, I think, maybe like 50 pages. Um, But, you know, I'm not even sure if these 50 pages will make it into the novel. But I'm just trying to find the right form and the right voice and yeah thinking about um what it's actually going to become without really knowing where it will end
0: all right that was jeff Ellis and conversation with nazli kudra you can find a copy of the applicant wherever you buy books and you can find Jeff's Press, Phonograph Editions, and the new imprint, Bunny, over at phonographeditions.com. And don't forget to check out our books, too, over at autofocuslip.com books. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening. Till next time.